This is a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. You're listening to the UAE's number one talk radio station. This is Afternoons on Dubai Eye 103.8. We were broadcasting live from NH The Collection on Dubai Palm poolside and very nice it was too we were talking a lot around men's health mental and physical scott armstrong joining us as we discuss the pandemic of loneliness in men and joined by reese baker who's had a mind and body transformation marking world kidney day busting some myths and taking your questions and we were joined by not one but two educators discussing ai in schools what the implications are and how parents can support plus the small hidden hormones that might be having a big impact on how you feel We are out of the studio this afternoon. We're taking a little a little stay day here at the gorgeous NH Collection Dubai, the Palm. It is, as the name suggested, here on Palm Jumeirah, and we are poolside. It's very tempting to just dip my little toes in and have a swim. And joining us now from the property is Lucy Wilkins. Thank you so much for having us today. So I just want to say congratulations on the opening of the hotel. When did it open its doors? Thank you. We opened on the 1st of February, so just over a month now, which is really exciting. We're starting to get into the buzz of things happening on property and seeing people come through. It's busy season as well. This is prime time for visitors to the UAE. The weather is absolutely gorgeous and um, for anyone that's not familiar uh, tell us a little bit about NH Collection because this is the brand's debut in the Middle East where is it from and what's it all about? Yeah so originally from Spain Spanish roots with the brand and very well known through Europe have a few properties I think 90 now throughout the world Wow! so definitely towards Europe and Latin America and we've so just brought the brand across here to the Middle East and a few more properties opening later in the year as well in Doha, mm. which is nice. Why Why the Palm? What do you think um, you can be adding to already a very, very kind of busy, uh, kind of real favourite with travellers? What, what's the point of difference to your mind? So I think the most important, or maybe not important, the biggest difference would be the feel of the property. Um, in fact, one of our main things is to feel the excitement, feel the experience. Everything around us goes there. It, it does feel very different when we think about. And actually, Poonam just said this as we walked in. You know, we've both been in, in the Middle East for some time now, and you know, it's it feels very like fresh and urban. I was was the kind of the phrase that came to mind. Is, is that is that kind of in line with the aesthetic and the and the plan? Yes, so with a lot more city hotels in the brand, mm-hmm. um, we are known a bit better to be a city hotel, so we've brought that feel to the beach side with direct access down onto the beach. We have the best of both worlds and a lot more modern and contemporary feeling than maybe we're used to here in the region. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think that it does It does feel, um, as I said, like very urban and fresh and... Let's talk a little bit about the location. Now, we're by the pool on the rooftop, and on our left, I mean, just incredible views across the marina. You can see the Ain Dubai there and the beach just directly down. So do you have access to the beach from the property? Yes, direct access down onto Palm West Beach for those wanting to go for a walk, or we do have our own beach lounges, sun lounges down there for guests to use, as well as a beach club coming later in the year. Watch this space. Yes. Can't give too much away yet, but we have the concept and it'll be very different to what we're used to seeing in the region as well. So completely stepping away. And how many rooms do you have here, Lucy? How big is the property? 
So, together with service departments and hotel rooms. Oh, I want to hear more about the service departments as well. So, okay, so let's start with rooms. Yes, so just over 230 rooms and so quite a big space. It's nice bringing something a bit not too big, not overwhelming, Mm -hmm. but enough to kind of bring a few more people onto the palm as well. It's somewhere, obviously, there's plenty of rooms to stay, but to give something a bit different. either sea view of course overlooking the beautiful marina and skyline or our sort of more entry-level standard rooms too. Let's talk service apartments because I think this is a really fantastic point of difference. We've got people coming to Dubai you know whether it's them moving and wanting a bit of a softer landing to have have a a base to explore from or I mean I've got you know guests in town right now who are staying with us and Sometimes it's nice to have guests in town who aren't staying with you, let's just say. Um, So tell us a little bit about the offering on the service department front. Yes, so we'll be having studios and one-bedroom apartments, so a good sort of array, a nice mix for people. Um, Whether it is a one-month stay or a 12-month lease, a great option for people who are maybe looking to find something before finding a more permanent lease Mm. as well. Um, Being on the palm at, I would say, more of affordable price point as well which people always like to hear well, that, well that, that's exactly what I was about to ask you rough saying I know the brand um, from Spain how many stars is the property good question oh. I have a confession um, so we will be a five-star property um, in finding the space we were coming as NH hotel which is the sort of one of the three ways that NH as hotel, a hotel group has their properties. Mm-hmm. So we came in as an NH hotel looking like a four-star property, going to open as a four-star property. We came into the space, realized how beautiful it is, how prime the location is. It really is. So we will be upgrading ourselves to a five-star NH collection. But That affordability piece is really interesting as well because I think Dubai has kind of really... I don't want to say shaken off that kind of five-star thing, because it absolutely hasn't. It's you know still, of course, incredibly luxurious offering. But we're attracting a whole range of guests from all over the world who might be looking for maybe a bit more budget-friendly or looking to stay longer for the same amount of money. We're out of the studio. We're having a little vacation on the Palm at NH Collection Dubai. Uh, newly opened at the beginning of February, and we're sitting by the pool, which I have to say is very, very pleasant indeed. And joined now from the property by Lucy Wilkins. And I, you, you can't talk to me and not talk about food, Lucy. So let's talk a little bit about some of the restaurant offerings here. Um, what have you got under this roof? Yeah, so we have five restaurants on property. So up here, where we are currently, is Seen, which is our rooftop lounge and restaurant. Um, by day, pool venue, lovely rooftop views. By night, it'll be a very vibrant, sort of vibey. I like to c- describe it as a classic Dubai menu with your sort of Pan Asian fusion nice. Um, and nice. Where's the sunset? The sunset is on our. It's so, kind of by in Dubai over that side. So. Yes, it drifts further along in summer and then comes back, so directly in front of us, which is nice. So we get Beautiful. the views, the 6:30 views for the sunset. Um, and then once it gets dark, the fairy lights come on and marina lights up, which we love. And then we have our sports bar, Seven Sports Bar, which is your classic sort of pub food, bar food, nice light bites and big burgers. And then we will also be launching a few exciting things there coming up. So we have brunch starting, which everyone loves to... Oh, fantastic. 
get into. So our first one is actually next weekend. What's the plan? Because we've got a few brunches around Dubai, just a few. Um, so a t- few. tell us a little bit about the offering there. Is it going to be a la carte? Is it buffet? Who have you got in mind when it comes to the, the guests? So a la carte, while still showcasing the best of sports, um, being a sports bar, we want to make sure people can enjoy. Um, so music, sort of light bites on the table, drinks as you wish, and then... Yes, de- definitely more loud and vibrant than what we have been in our first couple of weeks that of opening. That sounds fun then. Um, right, brilliant. So yes. And what about um, that kind of European flair? You've got Spanish brands. Any, any plans for that on the food front? So we do have Mayora out all day dining, more on the international front. That's where our Spanish roots come more together. Um, so there's our international food there as well as at Revo Cafe, which is a little cafe bistro perfect for a little like breakfast or lunch now there are some kids around this afternoon um any kids club she said with hope in her voice <laughs> yes so definitely a kids club on property um the team are always around to also help out the kids wherever they wish in mayora we have a designated kids area as well to keep them entertained we have face painting with breakfast and dinner most nights um which is super fun to kind of try and be a bit different and give them something to do without driving the parents crazy. Thank you. <laughs> Much appreciated, Lucy. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the kind of the philosophy around the hotel. And I know um, we use the word an awful lot when it comes to travel around sustainability, but w- um, this is a priority for you guys, I understand. What does that actually look like in practice? Can you tell us a little bit about some of the efforts you're making? Yes, yeah, so all of our in-room amenities are vegan, cruelty-free, and that was really important to us to make sure that we tried to get off on the right foot mm-hmm. on that. Um, in terms of sustainability, we're trying to make sure that we're doing every part we can. Everything in room is biodegradable, reusable, no plastics. Even our coffee pods for the coffee machines wow. are biodegradable. So everything we could do and future plans coming. We're hoping to have a hydroponic garden on property, which oh, will be amazing. nice. So like a real yes. literally farm to fork, but just need to go upstairs to the roof maybe. Yes, exactly. We have a little mini roof or a smaller rooftop as well, two rooftops here. So we'll have a little hydroponic garden going and start to get that sustainability side as much as we can. As lo- We love working with local farmers, but the more we can do on property, the better. That sounds fantastic. And tell us then, I'm sure you've eaten um, around the property a number of times. If anyone's going to head down this weekend, is there a dish that you feel like you absolutely have to have in order to have the, the NH experience? Oh, that's hard. All I of know. <laughs> no, you can't love, say all of them. I'm not. I, I, I like food too much to choose one. Um, I am definitely a breakfast person, so Eggs Benedict at Revo, always a good way to go. And then up here, our sort of light sushi bites and a good tuna tartare or two is never to miss. Oh, that sounds scene. brilliant. Send them over. Thanks, yeah. Lucy. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, thank you so much for having us today. For anyone that wants to check out the property, online um, you've got the instagram of course um, but you can have a look at world.nh-hotels.com um, and if you want to find out more just drop me a little message saying hotel i will send you that link i'll send you the instagram if you prefer so you can have a little drool at uh, the beautiful location from it but again thank you for hosting us it's absolutely gorgeous and should be very very proud and thank you to the team perfect thank you for joining us
Healthy Habits. On Afternoons with Helen Farmer. The Marking World Kidney Day, a global campaign aimed at, of course, raising awareness around the importance of our kidneys and their health. And joining us live to bust some myths and take your questions is nephrologist Dr. Eamon Kaka, who's head of medical affairs at Baxter. This is an international healthcare company that primarily does focus on products to treat kidney disease and other chronic and acute medical conditions. Uh, Dr. Eamon, how are you? Uh, I'm fine, thank you very much. Thank you for your time today. Really do appreciate it. And I wondered if we could kind of zoom out a little bit and talk about kidney health in general here in the UAE. Do we have any stats or figures on the number of people who might be struggling with disease in this area? Uh, indeed, yeah. The um, uh, Actually, the chronic kidney disease is not only in UAE. It's a major problem, really global one uh, around the world. Uh, for example, if we talk about the worldwide um, um, number of patients, there are more than 840 million people Im- impacted by chronic kidney disease. Uh, and uh, it, it's prevalent in, in Middle East around maybe 12% and, um, of the population. And wow. in UAE, it's something close to 7%. But uh, I think, honestly, this is probably underestimated. As you know, there are mm. uh, a number of risk factors that maybe the population suffer from, like diabetes, hypertension, um, they are, which are, as you know, the major uh, causes of uh, uh, chronic kidney disease. And Dr. Eamon, can you tell us, and please forgive me the ignorant question, that, to explain a little bit about the basic function of the kidneys and then what can go wrong with them? Indeed, yeah. Well, um, um, well as you know, all of us usually born with two kidneys, uh, some people born with one, some people born with a three or four, but usually two uh, are functioning. And if somebody is born with one kidney, can still lead a normal life. Uh, now, the f- main function of the kidney is to excrete excess, uh, you know, uh, fluids and solutes. We call them uremic toxins, which are the metabolites of what we eat daily. Uh, for example, when we eat proteins from red meat, chicken, fish, uh, dairy products, all of these, when they are metabolized, they usually release a lot of uremic toxins, and these are harmful to our body. So the kidneys make, you know, both both kidneys make a great function in excreting these solutes dissolved uh, in the urine. We don't see them, obviously, but they are uh, dissolved in the urine. And whatever we drink daily, um, water, other, any other drink, everything, uh, the kidney can excrete that very nicely. So we maintain a fluid balance, if you like, and normal healthy status of the kid, of the body. But even equally important, also the kidney uh, acts like a hormone uh, production organ. The, the kidneys release the what we call the erythropoietin. This is very important to make the blood. That's why patients with a chronic kidney disease or kidneys are not functioning. They suffer from anemia. Uh, the other important uh, hormone produced is what we call 1-alpha, which makes the active vitamin D, which is very important to absorb calcium and phosphorus from the intestine. And last but not least, the regulating produce certain hormones regulates our blood pressure in, in our body. So kidneys play, the kidneys play a major role, really, in controlling even our pH, the normal pH of our body. So, yeah, there's major contributions do- to the, our body. We've had a number of messages for you. Before we go to the tech line, Dr. Eamon, I wanted to ask you um, a little bit about some of the common reasons that you know, might cause a kidney to be unhealthy. What are some things you see coming into clinic? Uh, well, no, there are not multiple reasons that can affect, unfortunately, people and lead to chronic kidney disease. But probably the most uh, common ones nowadays globally, not, even in U- not only in UAE or 
uh, Gulf region or Middle East or Africa globally, uh, it's diabetes mellitus and hypertension. Both of these diseases, as you know, are systemic disease. So they are not only affecting kidneys, mm-hmm. but also they affect the heart, the, uh, the, uh, the other organs, the blood vessels, the brain, the, the eyes, the retina. Uh, and, and what's interesting about these two, two diseases, they are controllable. If patients can control their di- diabetes and blood pressure, they are, they are almost protected. Uh, so, but these two are the more, most common causes nowadays, the leading, if you like, causes of chronic kidney disease. There are other causes like inflammation within the kidneys, we call that glomerulonephritis, within the inner parts of the kidney, or sometimes repeated urinary tract infections not treated properly. Sometimes there are stones which block the passage of the you know, urine outside. Uh, there are some congenital diseases. Sometimes there are inflammation of blood vessels. But the most common nowadays, the leading causes are uh, diabetes, mellitus, and hypertension. Can you can you talk then about some of the symptoms that people might might experience for people listening today, um, in terms of pain or something that would cause a bit of a red flag for you? Mm. It's interesting, really, in patients with kidney disease because we call it the silent killer. Uh, because until not until I mean the loss of like half or fifty percent of the functions of the kidney, the patient start to uh, show some signs and symptoms or complain of something. But when usually, usually chronic kidney disease, we divide it into five or classify it into five stages: stage one until stage five. Stage five is what we call it end stage uh, kidney disease or kidney failure, where uh, patients they need a kidney replacement therapy. But when they reach something like around the stage three, they stop start to suffer from symptoms, for example, of anemia, headache, uh, weakness, uh, and then they progress to stage four, they start generalized weakness, inability to perform, um, uh, they find difficulty even in sleeping at night, they wake up repeatedly, they may need to go to the toilet on a number of occasions during the night, they may start to suffer from itching or body in their bodies in some areas, and then gradually they start to accumulate fluid in their uh, body. So you see that the legs are a bit swollen, uh, they feel really weak, and uh, sometimes if the fluid accumulates around in the lungs or uh, around the heart, it gives them even difficulty yes. in breathing or performance becomes very weak. And, and this is, um, you know, progresses really very rapidly towards the end stage, and they become really, really suffering a lot of nausea, vomiting, um, a lot of these symptoms, um, not unless obviously treated. Um, Dr. Amy is with us this afternoon, nephrologist from Baxter. Um, a message here for you, doctor, uh, that's come in um, on the WhatsApp saying, any home remedies for kidney stones, please? That's from Jamal. Now, sounds okay. pretty painful to me. And Jamal, I hope you're not struggling or suffering, sir. Uh, what does come to mind there and what do you tend to recommend in clinic? Surely it's going to depend on the severity and size. Um, for, you mean for the uh, treatment for patients, uh, home treatment, you mean for patients with kidney failure, you mean? Chronic kidney yeah, disease. Kidney yeah, stones. Uh, kidney stones. Ah, kidney stones. Well, the best thing for kidney stones um, is the fluids. And the best of the fluids is water. Uh, you don't have any calories in it. And it's, the, the, whole, the whole idea is really to increase the passage of urine, the water, you know. And the more you pass the water, the more easier to help in um, dissolving, if you like, these stones. Obviously, it depends on the, on the type of the stone. We have a number of... Uh, you know, different types of stones, some of them made of calcium, some of xylate, and depends also on the, on the type because you can advise the patient what type of food they can eat or avoid, for example. 
So, for instance, uh, um, the 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 stones they are made of calcium, for example, mainly. Uh, you, you you patients need to avoid the dairy products mainly as much as possible. Uh, if it's more of oxalate, they need to you know avoid tomatoes, for example, um, and nuts. Uh, you know things that oxalate is ac- accumulate uh, for them. Now, if they are usually the stones, if they are less than uh, 0.5 centimeters. We have no issues. Usually, with plenty of fluids, especially as I said, water, uh, they can they can clear it. But larger stones, they may need some interference to deal with them. Um, Al is asking on the text line: Is there any truth to high alkaline drinks providing benefits? You talked earlier about pH levels in the body. Can you adjust mm. that by having alkaline well foods, but drinks? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Asking about. Yeah, indeed. Indeed, for the urine, acidic urine, for example, or type of stones that are associated with kind of acidity in the urine, alkaline drinks can help, indeed, yes. What would count as an alkaline drink? Um, I don't necessarily need to say any brand names, but are there any um, substances or ingredients or, you know, active supplements that can uh, that you think would be useful? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, the, 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 the main really things that alkaline is anything related, like, for example, when we talk about sodium, for example, carbonate. You know, the, the one what it takes sometimes for acidity mm-hmm. uh, to control the acidic in the stomach, um, either assessment tablets or some syrup-like medication, uh, those contain some alkaline uh, materials. But there are also certain things, uh, drinks can be given um, of different brands, obviously, uh, to help for uh, for the kidney stones. A message from Sarah saying, I've been diabetic for 15 years. What damage can be caused on the kidneys because of diabetes and its medications? Are there any tests that Sarah can do regularly? Great question there. Yeah, for diabetes, I mean, diabetes can affect the kidneys, as I mentioned earlier, as a major cause, actually, especially if the diabetes is not well controlled. Uh, and usually the high concentration of sugar, as you know, in the blood, which normally, if they have deficiency in insulin or resistance to insulin, which are produced by pancreas to allow the sugar to go inside the cells, uh, the level of blood sugar remains high, and that's quite toxic on long run uh, for, for, for the kidneys, uh, the inner parts of the kidneys. And then they get gradually uh, damaged. Uh, they form something like scars inside, if you like, the, the, the inner parts of the kidney. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then the, the, each kidney you know, has like one, about one million nephrons, this is the structural and functional unit of the kidney. And if this nephron, each one of them, is damaged by diabetes or the high blood sugar level, um, then obviously gradually they will become incompatible or incom- uh, uh, and there's inability to, to pass or filter, if you like, the blood to make the urine. And then gradually, as I mentioned, this will lead to progression of this chronic kidney disease towards kidney failure. So the best thing for uh, patients with diabetes, I would say, is to control blood sugar by diet and maybe there may be some need of medications or insulin injection. Depends on the type of diabetes uh, because we have the juvenile one in very young children, for example, that they usually, um, uh, we call it autoimmune disease because mm-hmm. insulin is not working. And there's the adult ones, uh, the, like in the middle age group people, uh, usually there is some kind of resistance to insulin, uh, insufficient insulin in a way also. So some, some of them, they may need insulin to control blood sugar level. The best thing is to test, obviously, in the morning when they are fasting, they can take fasting blood sugar. There is also other tests, what we call them postprandial tests, like they eat breakfast, they come or given a good amount of uh, sugar, something like 50 grams or 75 grams as a drink, and two hours later, 
they check the blood uh, sugar level. But there is another important test, what we call it the hemoglobin A1C. This reflects the stability of a blood sugar control over like the last three months. So there are a number of tests that can be done to check if, uh, if diabetes is, is, is under control. Dr. Amin, thank you so much for your time today. Um, one last message for anyone listening today who might not have any kidney problems and wants it to stay that way. What can we all be doing to maintain good kidney health? Uh, the, the most important thing I would say, the keep the body hydrated. And the kidneys love water, lives, loves you know the uh, filtration. So you need to keep hydrated all the time. Some people, they think I'm not feeling thirsty, it's okay, but we do perspirate, we do breathe a lot, we do walk, we sweat, we don't notice really, uh, and we may go dehydrated. Uh, so uh, drinking plenty of fluids during the day, I would say maybe at least two to three liters a day, fluids would, would help very much indeed. Uh, I would also help to, uh, I would also suggest uh, for people who are maybe having or at the risk of developing urinary tract infection to have quick uh, or um, um, early treatment and take full prescription of the course treatment. Diabetes mellitus, if there is, should be controlled and avoid obesity. Obesity is another big risk also for diabetes and even hypertension. And in fact, the kidney disease, one of the kidney diseases can be led by obesity. So control obesity very well and control diabetes if it exists or avoid having diabetes. And blood pressure as well, keep it checking on the blood pressure if there is any uh, increase in blood pressure beyond the normal, um, it, to make sure this is well controlled by dieting or by medication. Physical fitness is also important. I would say for, I mean, normally walking um, like half an hour a day, 30 minutes would do really great. It's not only for the kidney, but also for the bones and mm -hmm. the, uh, you know, overall circulation. And very important thing, if any of the, you know, who is listening to this program, if they have a member of a family or family history of diabetes or hypertension um, or any of the diseased kidneys, I would suggest, or kidney stones, for example, I suggest very much they keep checking up or check if they have something like this or develop something like that so they can mm -hmm. take early precaution and, and, and manage that early. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Emin. Really, really do appreciate it. That was nephrologist Dr. Emin Kaka speaking to us from Baxter as we mark World Kidney Day. This content is for informational purposes only and is not intend to substitute professional medical advice, diagnosis or treatment. We're talking men's mental health today and it's been described as a silent epidemic. The number of lonely men in the US and UK reported is on the rise and so are mental health problems, often with devastating consequences. According to a recent YouGov poll in the UK, almost one in five men owned up to not having a single close friend. Furthermore, one in three stated they didn't have a best friend. For women, these figures were lower at 12 and 24% respectively, suggesting that on average, men in the UK are leading more solitary lives compared to women. However, the survey also suggests that while men appear to be lonelier than women, they're also less likely to own up to feeling lonely. Because although the poll showed that 44% of UK men admitted being lonely, often or all the time, the figure for women was actually higher. So the idea that men don't want to admit to any feelings of male loneliness was backed up actually back in 2017 by the Joe Cox Commission on Loneliness. And it surveyed over 1,000 men. 10% said they could not admit to feeling lonely, preferring to keep it hidden. 
So why are there so lonely men um, around the UK and other parts of the developed world? And what are the driving forces behind this phenomenon of male loneliness? We're joined now by Scott Armstrong from Mental Space. It's a platform that's on a mission to remove stigma from conversations around mental health. He's joining us now and we'd love to get your thoughts, your questions and indeed your concerns on this. Scott, how are you this afternoon? I'm very well, thank you very much. And what a lovely view. This is really good for our mental health, actually. totally spoil you by you'll never come to the studio again (laughs) only like helen is a pool i'll only come up as a pool (laughs) um before we get to the whys of loneliness can we talk about how impactful it is on life and even lifespan scott what do we know absolutely uh well i think both you and i were lucky enough to talk to dr rongan chatterjee up at the emirates literary festival a couple of weeks ago um and he was talking recently about how loneliness can actually knock 10 years off our life at 10 years and actually the impact uh, and it's a physical thing because when you are isolated that your dna from history knows that you are separated from your tribe Mm -hmm. and there is a physical thing that's happening which is equivalent to smoking 15 cigarettes a day goodness me you you think about loneliness and you immediately think on impact on mental health but not not the physical side as well and absolutely has a physical impact wow so let's talk about why what are some of the common factors that have been identified when it comes to men and loneliness well it is as you said in your intro just that ability to talk um Mm. and increasingly uh, you know social media doesn't help us but there is just society stereotype of men that we have to be strong you know strong and silent um we have to be stoic we have to bottle things up we just have to get on with things um and unfortunately the cost of that loneliness the cost of that silence is often a very very high price to pay Mm -hmm. Uh, and we're seeing it in men's mental health now so where do you think it starts though because we think about you know our our young men sons knocking around with their friends you know whether that's through sport or school after school activities when do you feel like their i guess the priority stops stops being such an important one of having these male friendships around us I think it's opportunity and access as well. Like when I certainly was going to school, we had a lot more physical sports. Mm -hmm. Um, And also, if we wanted to have conversation, you know, we were out with our friends. Um, And, you know, the old jumpers for goalposts, we were out until dark came in and all that sort of thing. These days, and I've got a 21-year-old boy, he's a man, he's starting his first job. I've got a 16-year-old boy, I've got a 7-year-old girl. You know, social media has really just removed an element of physical interaction mm-hmm. and so many of our kids and the children and you know young young guys are talking on chat and that is the level of their communication and i'm sorry a whatsapp message is not the same as a heart-to-heart with you with your best mate and what about dubai in particular you know that unique expat experience what what role do you think that place got well we've seen that in uh, multiple pieces of research whether it be cigna and, and bupa cigna did their wellness research 360 this is um, or has traditionally been um, a, a location where we come for a brief period of time. We might be here for two, we might be here for five. So we are not putting down roots. We don't have the roots. We're that not we investing. Have. Yeah, we're not investing. Mm-hmm. And, and we know that the government here is trying to change that. You know, we've got longer term visas. We've got five year green visas. We've got 10 year golden visas. And they desperately want people to actually put down roots yeah. and actually consider the UE as a long term home, particularly mm-hmm. if you're talented. But the flip side of that right now is that, yeah, we don't have those roots. 
Um, so a lot of our relationships can be quite shallow and quite surface and they don't go deep which is what we need it's interesting we've got a message from now saying interesting one I'm 48 and don't have any close friends here yeah. most friends are from school and uni days we have couple friends here and it's a laugh but I definitely don't pro- talk properly to the people I've known for years um, my wife of course um, I'm not sure I define it as lonely but I think a lot of men are the same and isn't that interesting to think about or guess where your where your friends are um, you know, and my husband's much the same. His good mates, yeah. he's got some great friends here, but his good mates are from school. Like, and I think it takes a lot of time to build up that trust between someone where you feel like you can be open with them. It does. And also you think a lot of us, when we get to this point of our life and we're out here, we're, we are a bit more guarded with our emotions. Mm. Um, and we also have that almost innate thing that this is a, not transactional, but it's temporary. Like how long are these people going to be in our lives before they then move on to the next thing? And we go through this once or twice. I'm, I'm, I've been fortunate. I've got two close mates here. And to be honest with you, I probably have two close mates. Um, in, you know, I've got friends and acquaintances and we have a lot of acquaintances but again when it comes to our mental health an acquaintance isn't someone that we're going to really open up to even though the research tells us actually just talking to an acquaintance is actually not a bad thing for us Joining us live, delighted to be in conversation with Scott Armstrong from Mental Space. This is a platform that's on a bit of a mission to help remove stigma from conversations around mental health. And they're doing that online and with an upcoming retreat as well. And we're talking about men and loneliness. Taking your questions, your concerns on 4001. You can, of course, get in touch on the WhatsApp and the phone line too. And uh, we've got Ali on the line. Um, Ali, thank you for being with us this afternoon. Can you explain a little bit about what you went through um, during COVID in particular? Thank you, Helen. Pleasure talking to you. So, uh, right after COVID, we have been long locked down in our respective homes, working remotely. Um, and you know, I'm a person who actually loves to interact and, and speak with people, and that was sort of taken away from me, not by choice. Mm-hmm. And over a period of time, that built up um, in in a sense that it almost turned into uh, you know stress. Uh, I wouldn't call it depression, but super, super lonely feeling. Mm-hmm. We are surrounded by family, yet you're feeling lonely. Um, it was it was extremely overwhelming. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the experience, and I'll share with you what actually helped. Uh, and we, you guys were talking about good mates and having good friends. Uh, a very dear friend of mine, uh, he spotted that on one of the video calls that we were having. And he goes, listen, the, so there's something off about you today. L- let's speak. Mm-hmm. And he whatever he was doing and we spoke for two hours about the randomest of things you can imagine (laughs) and that actually you know helped me come out of that feeling um, in in that moment Mm -hmm. and that's when I actually realized that wow this has actually you know taken its toll on me Um, and it's manifesting in in so many ways Um, I never thought uh, you know was, was possible physical and mental uh, what an amazing friend, for one thing, to, and for you to feel so seen, and pro- probably, you know, m- maybe not even having the language for what you were going through, but for someone to recognise that and really turn things around. Ali, thank you so much for sharing that. Really, really do appreciate it. And Scott, you're nodding along there. I mean, it is that power of connection for someone to recognise in someone something's not quite right. And it, t- it takes a lot for someone to say, do you know what, you're right, things aren't quite right. Have you had any personal experience of this and you and your family and maybe someone struggling and maybe even they didn't know about it? Uh, well, I've been through that myself as well. And, and it's interesting, Ali talked around where you're actually being surrounded by 
by family but even when there is some issue that's pressing on us and, and as guys again we're not opening up mm. um, it can it can get really really lonely and you don't feel that you want to express that weakness um, so I, I remember there just being like almost feeling not disconnected but just not being able to open up um, like locked lo- yeah basically locked in and, mm. and not wanting to burden family with the issue at the same time I mean my wife was amazing she's very direct and at some point she was like there's something wrong with you we need to talk about it dush, 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 dush. Uh, and then once we got to it because often it's the fear of the thing rather than it's the, the thing itself and um, what Ali's also there also interestingly talked about and I've got a really good friend of mine called Sam who talked openly about depression it was it, he often says that not necessarily opening up about the issue but just going for the walk just having the talk about anything um, and they always say like if you're going to ask him a ask your friend are you okay ask twice because if you ask are you okay the first answer is always that yeah i'm fine it's the glib isn't yeah, it it is um, so ask twice let's go to the text line james saying hi guys for what it's worth i met a lot of people through the kids activities rugby mostly and friendships have grown from there yeah. getting involved is a choice you can drop them off or sit alone or have a chat it's very true um, and no name on this message and don't forget you can always contact us anonymously saying thanks for raising this my poor husband has admitted he is lonely we have a new baby with a first in our friendship group a lot of those guys go out drinking every night which he doesn't want to do anymore and he prefers not to get too close to people at work which I think is fair enough he said he'd like to bond with other dads about being a dad but I don't know where or what to suggest and interestingly it ties into an article I saw just yesterday uh, in the New York Times titled are new dads okay and it discussed the loneliness that a new father experiences and finding suggesting this is a time of extreme isolation do you see that ringing true and what advice would you have for this uh, listener's husband i, I absolutely do uh, it rings true with me the, the statistics actually are that you know postpartum depression uh, for men is one in ten so one in ten of new dads are actually going to suffer you know some, uh, you know that and it's, it's no surprise when we think about what a huge identity shift and we're talking there about the the pressures to be the strong silent one absolutely i think that is you know a really you know pertinent example of that time and then you have all that responsibility coming home mm-hmm. to roost and you know uh, i remember ryan reynolds posting on twitter going i can't do this i can't do this can't do this as he's looking down his new his newborn baby yeah i mean because there's so much honors and as as the the texter was saying there as well like he used to be that you know, the dad used to be part of a group that's going out drinking all of a sudden priorities change priorities change um and you're now cut off from that and you, you shouldn't feel guilty about wanting that extra time away but all of a sudden you you, you know you focus and your responsibility is on this mm-hmm. uh, this new child that's in your life so and i think it, it is i'm going to say it's easy but certainly easier for mums because you know they often have that parental leave that men don't have and there's yeah. more opportunities to go along to you know groups and coffees and things like that and Absolutely. that's not the case with men so much is there anything that comes to mind or anywhere that comes to mind where this listener's husband could perhaps connect uh well i mean look there are social media groups that are dedicated to to to, to fathers there are running groups as increasingly as well which are, are set up for for dads to go along and have a run together and get away for half an hour or 45 minutes i, th- I think any of the sporting clubs are a really good way because then you're combining physical 
exercise with conversation so if you can get yourself into any form of you know i don't want to turn create a new class of golf widows but <laughs> but even getting down the driving range uh, for, for 30 minutes is is something or even having that walk so mm-hmm. if you can combine physical exercise with a conversation that's going to be really helpful for you a message here saying i don't ask how are you anymore i ask how are you feeling today mm-hmm. um warren saying i agree with the majority of what you guys are saying but there's also a part where men are becoming weak we need to ensure we make um, and develop men to be tough in both regards mental stability and not poor me syndrome where do you stand on that scott uh really interesting um i, I think my father would have said exactly the same thing and he was a 60 you know, he was a ceo uh, he was a very stoic guy he would build himself up from absolute nothing nothing you know from poverty built his own company um never once talked about his feelings and talked about weak men and at 68 years old he had a mental health breakdown and drank himself to death in the space of three months so we can polish our armor all we like but when it breaks it breaks um and that's when we need better tools and the ability to talk to people i think the the older male generation is a really interesting group and i know my dad when he retired really struggled because he'd gone through life feeling very very useful and being and doing something he was really good at and you know got a huge amount of identity and self-worth from work and he really really enjoyed working my dad so when he retired there were a couple of issues one he was around all the time and my mum was like (laughs) he's here all the time and the other one was this you know what what do I do with my time and he's physically incapable of not working so he's um, he's delivering prescriptions around rural countryside to people that can't get out to the chemist yeah he bought an old Land Rover and he's renovated it and he's using that as a wedding car for couples and um, I was just chatting to him last night about um, men in sheds do you know about men in sheds tell me about men in sheds this is a concept I believe that started in Australia and it's a bit like the Women's Institute in England but it's for older men to come together in sheds yeah and it's now all over the UK and they will learn skills like you know woodworking doing things with their hands fixing things for you know schools and hospitals and old people's home and it's about working together and talking together shoulder to shoulder not face to face and having somewhere to go that's perhaps not just the pub well it's an interesting concept or it's an interesting challenge because um, you know, for, for the for the previous generation, it, that that might come at you during retirement. But in this very kind of job fluid market, and we're heading into a recession as well. A lot of us, our identities are linked to our jobs. Our jobs That's are not just something that we do. We are our jobs, and I know I've been through that. And I was lucky enough; it was painful to have that all sort of shifted and broken up a few years ago when I changed careers. And I didn't change career by very much, mm-hmm. but I still had six months where I was like, I don't know what to call myself because who I'm am called, I now? Who am I? And in the wee small hours of the you know the morning, who is Scott? Someone asked me that, like, who is Scott? Once you take away the roles and the responsibilities, I like, do you know? Well, I'm not sure I can answer that question. Tell us a little bit about what you're planning for the next uh, next couple of weeks. You're, you're taking some uh, taking some men on the road. We are, yeah. We've got uh, we've teamed up with the Lighthouse Retreat in Ras Al Khaimah uh, for a men's mental health retreat. But it's it's. Uh, exploring the aspects of physical and mental health so if anyone's seen a documentary by chris hemsworth called uh, limitless it examines things like saunas and ice baths and and the science around saunas is really interesting because they can cut your risk for alzheimer's by up to 50 percent wow yeah absolutely we're going to be doing a desert walk we're going to be doing a it's almost like going back to the cub scouts we're going to have a fireside chat around a campfire under the stars we're Come going to look at <laughs> well i think we might leave the the, the guitar and the, back and, of the, and the uh, dip, dip, dog, dog. Yeah, exactly yeah that sounds 
sounds beautiful. Absolutely yeah. gorgeous. And then, the, and then there's also things like that we might not necessarily have tried before. You know, yoga, or you can call it extreme stretching if you want. Broga. Broga, absolutely. <laughs> um, and even things like Reiki and sound healing, which for me will be a little bit of a bit departure, of a bit of a stretch. But hey, it's like it's going with an open mind mm. and hearing what, you know, and the whole idea of the weekend is just to kind of like give guys a bunch of tools. Like here's some information about fasting. Here's some information about life planning and goals and setting. Here's some physical stuff about balance. And here's some physical stuff about fire and ice, which is, is the stuff that's really popular with the guys. And just give them tools and go, you know what, try it. And, and you know what? Some of it, some of it might resonate. Some of it might not. Exactly. But at least you've point. got it all happening and there over one weekend. And they're all bite sized. So Simon, who's my partner on this, Simon Dunn is the founder of the Lighthouse Arabia. Uh, sorry, Lighthouse Retreat. Um, I knew I was going to say that. Um, he's a former professional golfer as well. He has uh, literally designed this intentionally. So it's just bite sized pieces that you can go right. I love four of those things, and I can use those in my actual day to day life. Yeah. And what's the best way of finding more about that, Scott? Well, we have lots of information on my website, which is the Mental Space. M E N T L space or the lighthouse retreat which is lighthouse underscore retreat.com if you want that you can just send me the word man to 4001 and i will send you the links really appreciate your time and your honesty on this topic today scott i think it's really really valuable and thank you again to everyone who's joined the conversation on this topic We're meeting a man now who, in his words, has gone through a full mind and body transformation, going from 103 kilos down to 80. And I, I've always vowed to not compliment people on their appearance, Rhys Baker, but you're looking amazing. How are you, sir? I'm really good. Thank you so much. I really appreciate the compliments. You're glowing. I, I feel like I'm glowing. It's, it's fantastic. Like, the last four to five months have been unreal like not just a, a body transformation but a full mind transformation as well let's let's go back to the beginning was there a moment that you can pinpoint when you decided to make a change i think what it was and i remember it, it was at the end of august uh, i had to go shopping because i wasn't really fitting into any of my jeans mm-hmm. and I, oh, I, jean I, shopping is killer it, it is it really it's is a cruel business and you know when sometimes uh, you're in a changing room and we have like, the double mirror where mm-hmm. you can see the back mm-hmm. um i had to try my jeans on and i saw the back and i was like i think it's time i i, I need to start to lose lose the weight a little bit was self-induced i did put myself through a bulking phase you know i've always loved fitness i've always loved the bodybuilding industry but i realized that i did it the wrong way i did like a dirty bulk where you kind of eat whatever you want uh, you know and this is just about the calories rather than the quality of the yeah, calories yeah you're, you're you're not worrying about anything you're not really worrying about the, the macros and uh, that's when it all began now it's one thing i think a lot of people have had that moment of like oh gosh i need to you know I need to make a change. It's another thing to actually make the change. What was the first step that you took then? First step for me was, I think when I saw 103, I was like, I'm now into triple digits and it, it, like this is now the time. Um, I tried to do it by myself in September. I, I wasn't really getting anywhere. I was trying to sort of understand uh, mm-hmm. a bit about diet and I've always been great at training. Like I, I understand how, how to train. You know, I did sports science uh, when, when I was younger in school and college. But uh, the diet part, I could never really fully understand. And then it was at the start of October, um, I met this uh, gentleman in the gym. Uh, his name is River Hardy. He's an what a name. Great name. Awesome name. Is he famous? He should be famous. He's very well known in the industry. Crikey. Uh, and uh, awesome, awesome dudes. I met him in the gym. And um, it, honestly, it just started with a high. Like, I went up to him and said, hey. Because he, he, he was training someone and just yeah, the way he was communicating, the way he was pushing the, uh, his client. I was like, this is the guy I want to talk to. I want to get mm-hmm. some, you know, some feedback. And he said, look, I'm an online coach. And I was like, why is that? And I didn't really know what it meant. So I've heard about it, but I didn't really understand the, the full ins and outs of it. 
And he's like, look, what I will do, I'll write for you a diet plan. I'll write for you like a structured training plan. We're going to communicate, you know, once a week, you know, like, well, I've got, I'm going to give you a video check-in and I'm going to help you all the way through it. You know, you're going to have this questionnaire and the questionnaire, emo is things about strength. It talks about what challenges I faced in the week, you know, mm. what wins I've had, how's my mindset been. Where, so, those, where those pain points have been as yeah, well. Yeah, yeah. So it, it was it was both um, physical and uh, also mental support, which and is great. And also being accountable. I, yeah. I think that's a, a big, big piece for a lot of people. And that can take, you know, lots of different forms. It can be, you know, someone in your friendship circle or family, or it can be a professional. I think your point about diet's a really good one because... I think there's a lot of myths, you know, kind of myths and misconceptions about it. You know, oh, eat, you know, eat less, move more. There's far, it's far more involved than that, and everybody is different. You know, it's not necessarily a one-size-fits-all thing when it comes to losing weight because you know our body composition, our metabolism, our energy levels, our activity levels. So he put something together for you, just for you. He did, he did. And I remember when I told him what I was currently eating, and he actually said, you're not eating enough. Really? And, and I was like, interesting. He was like, look, I need to get your metabolism working. You know, yeah. like, that's the best way for you to start digesting, you know, and your body's going to start adapting. I and mean, that's when you are going to start shredding away at that fat. I want to know what you've watched. So, I want to oh, know what about like, the plan. What? It, and here's the thing. It was balanced. It's a, a balanced diet, like really good foods, the correct amount of proteins, correct amount of like healthy carbohydrates, fats. Fats are really important. Obviously, mm-hmm. it regulates the hormones. And so it was incredibly balanced and it, it was great. You know, like I remember just breakfast was just simple. It was just like a wholemeal sliced bread with some eggs and avocado. And like I've, I've, I've eaten a lot of different sort of breakfast because I've, you know, I've been in the FB industry for over 15 years. Mm-hmm. But I realized that the food was quite simple and that actually really worked well for me at the start. I was like, okay, where's, all, where's the flavors kind of coming from? But then I got used to it and then that really helped. For speaking from personal experience, who has, you know, up until recently yo-yo dieted for years and I've kind of got my head around things now and, you know, thank goodness everything is pretty, pretty good. Mm. Um, the starting, we, you know, we go into it and we've got all this enthusiasm and we've, we've been to the supermarket and we've got the healthy food and then you're like, mm, the motivation starts to slip or there's an occasion that comes up and you make an excuse for it and then it's the next day there's something else. How did you keep your motivation up? What was the mindset shift, Rhys? The, the mindset, I think it happened in maybe like the second or third week when I started seeing my progress photos. Ah. Progress photos, this is the key. Like, it's, it, like you just take photos of yourself because it would get to a point when you start seeing that you're shredding away a kilogram of fat, two kilograms of fat. Which is massive, by it, the way. I think we big. underestimate just how, how yeah. massive a kilo and how many calories you need to actually be in deficit for that kind of loss. For sure, for sure. So the moment you get these photos taken and you start comparing it got to a point where I could start seeing outline abdominals and I was like you know what it, it's it's time it's that working. it's time I make some sacrifices you know and I, I, I love my friends I love socializing but sometimes you need to lock in on yourself mm-hmm. and that's when you can go through that full transformation so you're more than 20 kilos down now goodness me yeah so Is it, so you're, you're in maintenance phase now so um so for, so the lowest i got on the scale was 79 kilogram which I, it still baffles me that i even got to that point <laughs> but like that's like single digit body fat so like ab- abdominals are all all fully there and i felt fantastic but at the same time when you get to that sore shredded point of view there is you know a bit of exhaustion because you have yeah. to sort of push yourself a bit harder and harder yeah. but but now uh, we're going immediately into a health phase so the health phase is now for the next four weeks um, where we start to increase the calories ever so slightly. Uh, I'm going to start seeing my strength start to uh, go up slightly. Same with the muscle size. I and mean, we're going to go into a six-month gaining phase where the calories will once again start gradually grow- going up more and more. But the like, right calories. The right calories. Uh, I'm still allowed like one off-plan meal a week, which means, you know... I, I want to know what you're having. 
it could be anything. It, 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 it could be new. I've, I've realised that. Like, I like to try different sort of things, and I'm, I'm also at a point where, you know, if I can go and just enjoy like a full tomahawk steak and just like smother it with with just some bernays, just bernays and some and chips some and everything. You know, why not? But, but I think that speaks to an interesting point because I think. Yes, we want to be healthy, but we don't be miserable. You know, you, you, you can't, well, you can, you can lock yourself away and follow a meal plan for the rest of your life. But, you know, at, at what cost? And I think that cost is often relationships and friendships and connection. So what about going out? How do you navigate that? Do you know what you could order on a menu or are you currently not it, going it was, out so uh, much? Uh, interesting during the World Cup I bet. Uh, and uh, being with my boys and obviously watching England play and uh, drinking Diet Coke. Mm-hmm. Uh, whole new experience. Whole new experience. Uh, <laughs> you, you learn a lot of things about humans. That's, what, that's, that's all I'm going to say. I people are like, I'm not sure I want to be friends yeah, with these people it, anymore. It's like, this is interesting. <laughs> um, so, like, if you, you, just, you, just, you just find, you, you find ways around it. Mm-hmm. You know, like, if, if you are going to go out for a meal, like, if, if, if one of my friends invites me out on a Tuesday just for a random catch-up, like, if it's not going to fit into my schedule now, like I won't be able to make it. You know, yeah. like more, more than welcome to maybe. But it's maybe priorities, isn't it? Yeah, it's priorities, and interesting. It it's the ability, and I've learned over the last few months, it's the ability to say no. Um, I wanted to ask you about supplementation and the thing you found because um, you're talking there about getting into gaining and you know we see an awful lot of like you know your protein powders around. There's a lot of talk mm. about um, supplements, vitamins, and things like that. Is there anything you found particularly useful? I literally have just taken four supplements uh, in the last five months, and that is just whey protein, that is creatine, that is pre-workout, and that is ashwagandha. Uh, these are the four things, and they've obviously helped when working it comes, for you. Just they work for me, and and, and it's great. And you know, I think, think there are a lot of things if you can go into a pharmacy and there's maybe a lot of sort of out there, but I think find what works really well for you. Um, the ashwagandha uh, definitely really helped. That helped uh, physically and, and mentally. Initially, I stored, um, initially starters will take it because um, as research shows that on average, it can help to grow testosterone by about 11%. Um, but, but mostly, it really actually helps, obviously, with anxiety, mm-hmm. helps That's with, with, with stress, yeah. uh, helps you sleep better. And, you know, I take one capsule every single day and it just removes the edge. Reese Baker is not sponsored by Ashwagandha, I'm, despite being I'm a big fan. Not. You would, wouldn't mind it, though. I would definitely take a sponsorship. Um, <laughs> what advice for anyone else that wants to embark upon and I hate the word journey, but you know what I mean. Who wants to who wants to take a, a step down that path? And it doesn't necessarily need to be as extreme as you in terms of the plan and the coach and the, you know, the 20 kilo plus kilo uh, weight loss. But someone who might be feeling a bit stuck and unhappy in the way they're feeling. Uh, best thing is immediately talk to someone who's in the fitness industry. Mm-hmm. You know, during this journey, I recently got my level three personal training qualification. I love to train people. I love to teach people. Like I absolutely love it so much. It makes me so happy. Uh, I was training someone this morning at six uh, six thirty a.m. and it's just so fun just being with them and really supporting them. So I think if anyone ever wants to get into the industry, reach out to someone who's in fitness because people will want to talk about it. They love it. Uh, Peter's saying, any advice for snacks? That's funny because it's coming to ten to four. This is when I start to be like, oh, I could really have a little Twix or something. That mid-afternoon slump. What's uh, what's River got you on when it comes to healthy snacks? So snacks-wise, on my rest day, I can have a little bit of dark chocolate, uh, but only a small amount. You can't mm-hmm. have like a full hundred gram bar. So only, only twenty grams. Uh, you got some healthy fats in there. So obviously, and it just it just it makes the rest day just just feel a little bit better. Um, yeah, I've got a, um, one banana as well. But obviously, just be very careful with fruits. There, there are a lot of carbohydrates, obviously, in the fruits. Mm, you know, fruit w- one banana is the same amount as two slices of bread. So, I'd so rather have the bread. Yeah, so be careful <laughs> on that. Uh, a, a, a weird one, which I did have near the end uh, of a cut, uh, sorry, of a shred, uh, was I was making.
making uh, iced lollipops at home with a little bit of lime juice. And obviously that's like one. That's so that's, sad. That's like, that's like one calorie. But at night time, when I had my cravings, I would just enjoy that lollipop <laughs> for 10 minutes and it made me a very happy man. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what would you say to yourself a year ago now? Like yeah, craving your, your lime ice lollies. I'm um, a message here saying, what was the name of the coach? Let's let's finish on that. A shout out to the, uh, for sure. the man uh, that's brought you along this journey. How can you find him and find you on Instagram yeah. as well? So uh, if you're looking for an online coach, River Hardy Online Coaching, that's him on Instagram. Go check him out. He's an absolute incredible human being. He's become a friend. He's a great coach. That's inevitable, isn't it? Because, you know, sharing we, really vulnerable we, we moments. Talk, we talk every day. He sees all my progress photos. Like me and him, we went for his journey together. It's been amazing. And if you're looking for a personal trainer, feel free to reach out to me at Reese Baker on Instagram. I'll be happy to look after you. Reese, huge, uh, huge kudos to you, sir, for, um, for sharing your story, inspiring lots of other people and uh, taking people along for the ride. As I said, you're glowing. Thank we have you. got some chips in front of us here, so if you, you might want to avert your, eye, your eyes. I'll give you a glass of water I'll instead. have a water. It looks nice. <laughs> if you do want details of Indeed Reese or River, drop me a message. Um, you can just say training, and I will send you those Instagrams on 4001. You can use your ARN Play app, and you've got the WhatsApp too. What role does AI have in the classroom and what are the implications for the future? We're having something of a roundtable this afternoon with two educators joining us here live by the pool. We've got Michael Connor. He's a deputy head of primary at North Anglia here in Dubai, soon to be the founding head of primary at North Anglia International School in Abu Dhabi. And joining us from the British International School in Abu Dhabi, Teresa Lodos, the computing teacher and digital strategy lead. Um, thank you both for your time. Really, really appreciate it. And I'm, I'm asking as a parent, really, as well as uh, a professional, uh, just really about some of the implications that we as parents can look forward to and anything we need to be aware of. So I'd love to ask you, Michael, starting because you're looking at that younger years, what do you mean by AI and what does that currently look like in the classroom? And yeah, with, with primary to, to begin with. Uh, first and foremost, thanks for inviting us on, Helen. Very well. Um, I think AI is, is anything we use in terms of technology that um, supports the children in terms of their outcomes, um, positive learning outcomes. Currently, within our, our North Anglia Education Schools, um, we've been using AI and technology for, for many, many years, so it's not new to us. I think it's but just it now... it sounds so new. <laughs> it sounds like, you know, it's, it's robot teachers, but it's not really. What can you, can you give us some examples of how it has been used? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think uh, within our schools currently, we're using it in, in many different ways. Um, we're using it to personalise learning for the students, okay. um, to, you know, give them an opportunity to improve their academic uh, results and and the, you know the uh, the outcomes that they achieve. So what, sorry, when you say personalised learning, is that kind of identifying um, learning styles and being able to adapt in that way? Yeah, yeah, that and academically. So I'll give okay. you an example. We've we're within my school. We're currently working with a program called Century Tech Learning, which uh, has a, an algorithm that runs in the background. Um, it basically allows the children to personalise their learning by working through the national curriculum for maths, English and science. Mm. Um, and as they're working, the, the algorithm understands their strengths and weaknesses. How interesting. Yeah. So yeah. at the back end, all of that information in terms of how quickly they're working through something, uh, if they might be struggling with something, if something is you know, a breeze and they're clicking to the next, exactly. it's all taken into account. Yeah, it gives them the opportunity wow. to, to improve in, in terms of their academic standards, but also to to have that opportunity to be independent learners as well and to use that data um, independently, whether that be in school or at home. Wow. Teresa, this is like, I thought it was a brave new world, but it's actually happening right now. What about in the old years, and obviously you there, and um, when it comes to digital strategy lead, what implications are we seeing in the slightly older age group? Yeah, I think it's exactly the same as we were 
talking about it's um, it's not a threat it's to be embraced mm -hmm. and what we want to do is provide um, adaptive learning techniques for students you know it's, so we were talking about century tech earlier on and we do that in secondary as well and it's this idea of students being given the opportunities to look at what their strengths are but also what those areas for development are mm -hmm. and looking at what we can do to support students to further their learning and that's how we use AI. So how quickly then is technology moving in the classroom and, and you know we know teachers are under an awful lot of stress is this just another ball to juggle? No it's not it's it's quite it's quite funny really um we're thinking now so students are entering a workplace when they leave school with technology skills that we don't know what that's going to look like. Well, into jobs that probably don't even exist well, exactly, yet. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And that's fascinating and it's really exciting, you know. And as educators, we want to provide the students with those skills mm -hmm. in order to be ready for that. Uh, we were talking earlier on about uh, Michael J. Fox and Back to the Future, you know, and when this whole idea of 2020 and then we're going to be flying hoverboards and we're not there yet. I'm Nobody, waiting. I know we are. <laughs> we were saying that about having one of those um, jackets where it dries for us. Um, we don't know what it's going to look like we don't know what it's going to look like tomorrow the next week but what we need to do is help support students to be ready for those challenges can i ask you then michael about how students are benefiting what are some of the big pros to i almost want to move away from from ai because i think it, it, it's kind of a bit misleading but let's say technology in general and ai can certainly come under that what how can we see some of the real pros for students both in terms of academics but also their you know well-being and enjoyment of learning yeah i think there's same um, advantages to to both sides um, i think the students that are currently going through the school at the moment um, are gen generation z they are the students who are digital natives already um, so th they're already um, feeling the benefits because it's part and parcel of what they do every day. Mm -hmm. I think part of the challenge for us as educators is to ensure that our teachers are, are also doing that. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we have a, a huge commitment to our professional development, not only for the students, but, but more importantly for our, student, uh, for our teachers. Mm -hmm. Because you know some of our students are bypassing our teachers and, and we want to ensure that we're giving them the opportunities to be ready for Well, that is interesting to me because you know, we have got a great deal to learn from this generation. And, you know, that phrase, digital nomads, is you know, they've never owned a Nokia. They'll never know the frustration <laughs> of the dial-up tone. Um, and Snake, the advantage oh, of playing Snake. Hey, snake was fantastic. <laughs> um, so that is an interesting kind of, I guess, education exchange that must go both ways. And I think it's very easy for us as parents to go, well, I don't need to know about this social media platform or this website or this area of learning because that's something that other people do. And that's really missing a trick, I think. It is. We, we don't want to sit still. As teachers, we've got a lifelong love of learning. Mm -hmm. We want to learn and we want to pass that passion on to the students. You know, and you, you picked up a key there point for parents. It's all about getting parental engagement. You know, that's what we need. Any technology that we look at, we need to have engagement from parents. Talk to us a little bit about digital well-being. I have to say two words that I don't think often are heard together. We've seen, you know, screen time, you know, demonised by an awful lot of parenting, you know, so-called experts and doctors. And I took my kids for an eye test recently and they're like, oh, they should be having no more than three hours screen time. And I was like, OK. And then she said a week. And I and I laughed. <laughs> um, and uh, I think there's a, a lot to be said around positive, productive screen time um, and the difference between, you know, 
doing some of the things you're talking about in school, but also outside of school, and just passively watching some morons on YouTube kids. So talk to us about the concept of digital wellness, Teresa. I think digital well-being is massive. And again, it has to come from parents as well as from the school. You know, we need to support each other in this journey. Um, students are using devices. You know, we were talking about Gen Z then. They, the, the first group now coming into Year 7 are the first so, like, lot, lot of students that have got no... They've never understood what it's like not to have a device. And so we need to support them in that journey. And so what we're doing is we're making sure that they have that well-being, introducing them to the idea of digital footprint. You know, technology is an extension of who they are at the moment. And what we need to do is make sure that they are prepared for that. Because it's coming to the point now where the first thing you do when you want to look for someone is you, you go online. Yeah. Can, can I add to that, actually? The, the big thing for us is the, the perception of parents um, and how we're using technologies in school. And I think that's really important because the perception of some parents is that... that the children are sitting down on an iPad all day yep. when in essence that's not what's happening technology is 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 used to enhance the learning mm-hmm. but the most valuable tool we have in, in our group of schools are the teachers Absolutely. And, and they'll always remain that we've talked about this in other industries as well and healthcare immediately comes to mind we talk about robotics and AI in operating theatres for example and it's not about you know a, a robotic doctor replacing there's always going to be the importance of humanity and empathy and eye contact yep. and about being collaboration Talking about the role of AI in education now with Teresa Loda. She's the commuting teacher and the digital strategy lead at the British International School in Abu Dhabi. And Michael Connor with us, currently the deputy head of primary at Nord Anglia here in Dubai and soon to be the founding head of primary at Nord Anglia International School, Abu Dhabi. Let's talk a little bit about um, where we're seeing this going in the future, Teresa. You've very much got an, you know, a personal and professional interest um, when it comes to computing. Where do you see ed tech going? I it's a good question. <laughs> um, I think for me, what I want it to go to is a place where students feel empowered to play mm-hmm. and to explore and problem solve. You know, I always say to my students, one of the great things about technology is if you make a mistake, it doesn't matter. You can press control and undo. <laughs> no one's going to know. <laughs> so you true. know, it is. And that's what we want. We want them to, f- to make mistakes mm-hmm. and to use the technology to their advantage. You know, UNICEF are talking about digital play being unique because students feel empowered to take charge and make a difference. And they do because they're, they're free to do that online. What about getting the balance right, Michael? You mentioned earlier about the importance of the humanity of teachers, and this certainly isn't going to eclipse um, you and your colleagues. What about the getting the balance between the, the screen time, the AI, the technology that is completely inevitable, and some things that you know we might have grown up doing? I'm not talking blackboards. I'm not that old. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, we, we really do want to get the balance right because it, it's really important that when students leave the, the schools that we're in, that they leave as well-rounded individuals. And part of that is having a really good understanding of digital literacy and being competent in those areas mm-hmm. but the other things are still there and they still need to to go through that that process of learning them so that they can adapt them and, and apply them in different aspects of life so for me it's really important for teachers to to build that into the quality of planning that happens within schools but I think what's equally important is is involving the whole community so um, involving the parents involving the students and the teachers so that they all have a say so that when you're moving forward it's done in collaboration with it, with everyone which leads me to ask you you, Teresa, lastly, for any parents listening today who do want to foster this love of technology, of coding, programming, computing, um, any resources you recommend or anything you think can help encourage that? Yeah, just explore. 
and play. There are so many pieces of technology out there that you can use micro bits, um, spheros, these games that you can play, and anything like that that can foster that love of critical thinking and exploring. Absolutely go for it. Guys, thank you so much. We've run out of time, unfortunately, but fantastic to hear what's been happening in the classroom and indeed some of the bigger discussions you're having in your schools. Um, we always love talking education, and I think this is a topic that is absolutely not going to go away. If anything, it's <laughs> just going to keep building and it building. Is. And we have responsibility, you as teachers, but also us as parents, to be very much involved and engaged in that conversation for the benefit of our children and their futures. Absolutely. Really do appreciate your time. Joining us live is Christina Aonodis. She is a health coach for women, the founder of Top of Her Game. And we're talking about how, as women, our bodies change, our hormones are forever shifting, and we're always trying to navigate these changes. It can be hugely daunting. However, if you don't empower yourself with the knowledge and education about what your body is going through, there can be some really significant health issues. Um, lack of knowledge, a big problem, Christina. I think stigma is a, a big barrier that you must be overcoming all the time to try and educate women about what's happening in their own bodies. Tell us a little bit about you and how you became a health coach. Well, listen, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Um, the reason why I actually became a health coach as part of my portfolio of um, uh, in my career, if you like, because I am a professional trainer, facilitator and consultant is because I actually went through a seriously dark time in my what's called perimenopause which I know we're going to talk about mm -hmm. in, in a few moments and I learned so much about what the stigmas are for women and the and the lack of information that we have mm -hmm. and that's what kind of threw me into this whole path of trying to get women to really understand what they're going through and they're not going crazy. Well this is the thing and it's so frequently diminished as oh it's you know menopause is just a hot flush or oh you're getting a bit batty as you get older and unfortunately some of the symptoms are really really significant can you tell us a little bit about what you went through sure so i went so i'm talking about two there's two phases that i think we should distinguish one is perimenopause and one is menopause most women are completely unaware that there's a phase before you actually stop having menzies which is called perimenopause which and is before the menopause and how long does that last oh honey this can last anything between th from the age of 35 3 to 50 so it could be this absolutely 15 years of absolute mayhem what what happens is essentially our, our ovaries are dying right just to put it bluntly and so our hormones from because our, our hormones are actually manufactured in a very complex way our hormones start going up and down and and completely um, imbalanced. Mm -hmm. So we have three main hormones, which are um, uh, progesterone, estrogen, and and testosterone. Yes, women have testosterone, which is and another we need myth, it. <laughs> and we need it. Very, very important. So part of what happens is progesterone drops when we start perimenopause, and this tends to happen between, as I said, the ages. Mostly, it's the ages of 40 to 50, but some women get it much earlier. Mm -hmm. At 50, what tends to happen? Plus, we go through the phase of menopause, which is when we stop having menzies completely. And we normally define this as if you've had a year without a period. Exactly. That's it's pretty definitive. Pretty definitive. But however, post-menopause can take up to 10, 15 years. So great. So this is when <laughs> this is when this is where we have a challenge. If you think about it, we're looking at a you know 30 years of where you are up and down, mm -hmm. constantly confused as to what your body is doing, and your mm -hmm. body reacts in very very different ways. And that's why I, that's why I become such a big proponent of educating women because no two women are the same. Exactly. Some some women might 
breeze through it. Some women might be like, oh, I actually haven't had a period for a year and I'm kind of through what should be the worst of it. Others, which unfortunately is all too common and all too unrecognised, is physical changes, which we can touch on, but also a huge amount around mental health, whether that is anxiety, brain fog, loss of identity. Um, it's It can be really debilitating for an awful lot of people. Tell us about your own experience, Christina. So my experience was, and, and there's seven realms that I want to touch upon, so we'll come to you, those. You make it, that, that, that makes it sound magical. <laughs> seven realms. I'm guessing it's not too magical. Well, it's not magical, but hey, there are ways to dealing with it. So maybe <laughs> okay. there is magic in that. I hope so. <laughs> so my story was that I actually, in my mid-40s, went through a serious amount of anxiety, depression, kind of losing myself and I actually one of the most important things that really happened to me was I developed what's called skin tags and I thought that's you know bizarre but you know I'll live with it and went to the dermatologist had them removed but actually what I realized fast forward a few years is I was actually becoming pre-diabetic I had an issue in losing weight I had terrible amounts of inflammation in my body and my knees were killing me. And I thought, you know what? It's age. You know, we're not supposed to do certain things after a certain time. Mm. But fast forward till today, I am much better. And I've just turned 50. You're looking looking awesome. And I'm better at 50 than I was at 45. That shows you that there's stuff that you can do that can make you feel better, even if you're older in inverted commas. I think for for many people, it takes a a lot of courage to go to a doctor about it and unfortunately we're going to doctors who haven't got a huge amount of knowledge about it. Do you feel like there's a bit of an education gap there? Look, the challenge is not just the education gap, gap is that because we're complex as beings, we got to love women. We love, we're much more complex and sophisticated, <laughs> right? That's how I like to see it, the positive side. I like that. But um, the reality is we need an array of physicians to work with us. Mm-hmm. So it's gynecologist, it's, it's endocrinologists, it's, it's obviously people like um, your, your, your gut, because it's very important, um, enterologists. So we're looking at very different distinct specialisms, which is one of the reasons why women kind of fall through the cracks. Mm-hmm. And there's why, this is why people like me who are health coaches exist. Yeah. Because what we do is we actually help women think about what could be the strategies they need to be considering, and they then need to go and speak to their physician about it, and work, we work with them. Christina, can I ask then, if perimenopause and menopause symptoms aren't recognised, managed well, what can that lead to? Well, listen, one of the biggest challenges is when what happens, and this is globally, the data shows that one of the biggest issues with perimenopausal um, symptoms is because your hormones are out of whack, and I'm talking sex hormones, when your estrogen is out of whack, you also have a higher tendency of having what's called insulin resistance which is being pre-diabetic. That leads to a whole host of illnesses. Uh, Potentially could be, uh, it it makes it more likely that women get Alzheimer's. So Alzheimer's called diabetes 3, for those who don't know. Alzheimer's, there is now increasingly um, research to prove that uh, managing insulin for women can reduce Alzheimer's. Now, women are more, are twice as likely as men to get Alzheimer's. And that's why it's a big issue for us. The other issue is osteoporosis. Osteoporosis is when the thinning of the, bl- of the bone density. And we've got to do particular types of exercise in order to maintain bone density. So, so it's not enough to have calcium. No, you've got to be doing your load-bearing, weight resistance. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. You mentioned insulin, which is 
one of the, the you know, one of this group of hormones that actually are really crucial during this stage. Other two being cortisol and um, oxytocin as well. Now, cortisol I think of as being a stress hormone, yeah. which is the one that can. And we get this. We hear about this a lot. This kind of middle age spread, and it can help you. Can be really helpful in helping you gain weight around your tummy, mm-hmm. which I think a lot of women in their forties, fifties, sixties, I mean, experience. And my mum curses it frequently. Um, what about the role of oxytocin, which is is more of a happy one? I hope so. Oxytocin is is defined as the bonding hormone. Oxytocin is actually the balancer to cortisol. So there's two things that we need to do, consider. We need to lower our insulin levels, which I mentioned things like one of the strategies is doing time-restricted eating or intermittent fasting Mm -hmm. that is proving to lower insulin levels. Um, The second one is when you're thinking about cortisol, what we need to do, uh, sorry, uh, oxytocin, we need to consider things that make us feel good. You know, even stroking a cat. Uh, hugging your children, dancing around the kitchen like no one's watching. These are the things that help us increase oxytocin Mm -hmm. and help reduce the level of cortisol. Now, we're not going to get rid of cortisol completely because it is an innate hormone that we need to function. So Mm -hmm. cortisol isn't the bad guy in the equation. Mm -hmm. However, because we are in the the mid-40s, what tends to happen is we are uh, challenged because we're kind of the sandwich generation. We have caring responsibilities, both children, elderly parents. We're in the peak of our careers. It's a really cruel irony. Yes. So we're supposed to be at our best, but actually our body starts fighting us. And this is why we need to really start understanding how we can help our body let's talk about that let's talk some strategies before um, I also want to hear about some of the weird symptoms that you experience as well because when you google perimenopause symptoms it's like a dictionary it's 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 a never-ending list you're like oh crikey here we go what was it for you that and something that perhaps blindsided you a bit Christina well listen it wasn't my personal in uh, my personal uh, symptom but there's up to 37 different symptoms that women can go into through in perimenopause one of them which is the most interesting is burning tongue sensation so there's women who actually have the sensation of their tongue burning Um, Now, you imagine taking that to the doctor, right, and saying, look, my tongue feels like it's burning. The first response is going to be like, are you sure you don't need something strong? (laughs) I have a psychiatry colleague who can talk to you. Absolutely, absolutely. But, you know, and this is where the education piece comes comes to play because we need to be able to have these conversations. And I mentioned the seven realms, and I hope we can touch upon those. Let's do it. um, Because there are so many things that we can do when we feel that something isn't right. And that's one number strategy number one overall if you know something's not right speak to someone like myself who know a little bit more about women's challenges Mm -hmm. okay Mm -hmm. Um, but looking at the looking at the seven realms that I mentioned number one we touched upon the hormone hierarchy um, where the our our sex hormones are actually impacted by insulin and cortisol and we need to find ways to manage that and increase oxytocin so that's not the first realm the second one you mentioned is the weight gain Mm -hmm. if you have unexplained weight gain particularly around the waist Abdominal fat or visceral fat, as it's called, is actually uh, active in a, in a negative way for women. So the more we actually pile it on, the more estrogen receptors it has, and it actually makes things worse. We become estrogen dominant, okay. which is a, a further problem for us because that increases the, list, the risk of PCOS, of loads of conditions that we, sh- we have to be aware of. The third area is the, is, the, is the mental health. So if we're feeling depressed, if we're feeling low, anxious, these things really hit our confidence levels. 
And what we then tend to do, so we, if we're feeling that, then we have to really think about why am I feeling um, this way? And, and I'm going to kind of, one of the strategies I'm going to talk about um, as a seventh realm is the metabolic one. So I'll come back to how that could help um, the mental side of things. But the social aspect, which is the fourth realm, is critical. We shouldn't isolate. Mm -hmm. Women need to have conversations with other women. We also need to, because it has been shown by research, by the way, that the more conversations that women have, the more they have their, their tribe, it's like the equivalent of going to the gym. Oh, <laughs> sign me up. I'd rather have a chat than do a push-up. Uh, Thanks well, very much. Although, okay, maybe both. Fine. We need we need load-bearing, <laughs> remember that. Um, then the, fi the, 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 the other realm is the environmental. Um, the, I'm sorry, the emotional. And that's where we've got the issue around stress, which we talked about. And here we need to make sure that we are doing everything we can to manage our stress levels and lowering, lowering our uh, cortisol. Um, but one of the things, the next one is the environmental. And I think that's one of the least spoken. Mm -hmm. Why do I say this? Is because our environment is full of toxins. Now, everyone likes nail varnish. That's toxic for our body. I'm wiggling my bare fingers at you right now. Same here. But don't look at my toes. <laughs> Same here. So the other, the other um, uh, toxins could include wearing man-made fabrics. What about things like um, household chemicals and cleaning products? Absolutely. Okay. And eating out of plastic mm -hmm. containers and putting food that's hot in plastic containers that releases the PFAs. And so we've got, real, we've got to cleanse our environment as well. And finally, and this is very important because it has now come out of research, this is hot stuff, is the metabolic wellness that we need to consider. And here's the role of the microbiome. Now that's the gut bacteria, there's little gut bacteria, there's bacteria that we've got bacteria in our, in our guts that help us digest. So it's good bacteria. And, and, it's and, good and bacteria. we're seeing more and more connection between mental health, that mind-gut connection. There we go. So this is why I said to you, with a mental health piece, we need to make sure that we're helping the bacteria replicate but also maintain it and what do we need here we need to because by the way microbiome is helps in the production of hormones okay so we need to have a healthy microbiome how do we do that we consume prebiotics you know garlic asparagus lots of anti-inflammatory stuff lots of uh, these are anti-inflammatory foods and at the same time we also consume probiotics so kefir uh, libne which is very very common here these are they help us refuel build more cultures I just want to come to the text line, Christine, because we're going to run out of time, but I want to get to this matter saying, how does a woman know their insulin levels are wrong? Oh, Good question. A fantastic question. So the first thing is think, of, think about what are the, the... So in my case, I said I had skin tags. The second uh, issue I, that I see very commonly is this inability to lose weight. If you're putting on weight and you're, losing, you're, you're having a hard time losing it, have a look at what are your insulin levels because that could be an indicator. So those are the two kind of big ones. Mm -hmm. um, a message from Sandra saying, my daughter 11 has been quote unquote diagnosed with insulin resistance. School meals, are, school meals are a nightmare. Schools need to have healthier diets and options and schools need to educate children and help them on their journeys. I would agree, especially in this part of the world when you know, it's so, so prevalent. Absolutely. Child obesity and diabetes levels have gone up through the roof, particularly in this region so you're absolutely right um we have run out of time but i wanted to perhaps ask you to share your details for anyone that's listening going oh, okay I, I i need some christina in my life what's the best way of getting in touch with you well if if they can pronounce my surname which is you i'm trying it's christina <laughs> Ioannidis underscore official on on instagram it's also the same url on uh, on 
on, on what do you call it on the on um, it's online as well online thank you That's if, if you do want the details <laughs> I'll ha- I've got the link in front of me if you just want to send me the word woman I will send you Christina's details we'd love to have you back and discuss this further I think there's an awful lot of very actionable points that women can really grasp hold of and make a very positive change to how they're feeling um, what they're thinking during um, during an inevitable time in our lives but it's great to have people like you kind of holding our hands and guiding the way thank and you so much thank you for also facilitating the conversation any time I'll see you back in our studio next time won't be by the pool I'm afraid sorry <laughs> love it though <laughs> if you want Christina Cecil send me a message just saying woman as you said there is a health coach um, and you can find her online and on Instagram she's also the founder of top of her game And thank you for downloading this episode of the Afternoons with Helen Farmer podcast. Don't forget, you can subscribe. You'll get it direct to your phone as soon as it's out. And you can listen to me live on Dubai Eye 103.8, Monday to Friday between 2 and 5 p.m. You've been listening to a Dubai Eye 103.8 podcast. To enjoy lots more from Dubai Eye in the United Arab Emirates, just go to DubaiEye1038.com or find them wherever you normally get your podcasts.